happy 4th of July to everybody. Uh, it's a special day. I, I wore my red, white, and blue to represent. Uh, I know a lot of you did as well. But we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. Mark chapter 7, continuing in our Dirt Roads um, series through the book of Mark. I think we've been in the book of Mark for a couple of years now. And <laughs> looks like it might be another few years before we finish. Um, it is, it is, there's a depth of, uh, even though Mark is the shortest and he kind of makes each story more concise than the other gospels, there's so much, so much in the book of Mark. We won't get to the entire chapter today. You'll be relieved to know that. But Mark chapter 7, we're going to begin. I just want to give you the kind of a key phrase really for what we're going to look at this morning. And I promise this morning, while it will seem as though I'm preaching a message about worship, I'm not. It's just that Jesus addresses it here, and by coincidence, I got this passage. So we're just going through the series, and so it's going to come up. I'm going to talk to you from this passage and using the topic here, just to kind of whet our appetites, tradition versus doctrine. Jesus addresses this in the passage here with the Pharisees, and we're going to see what he has to say about it. The, the phrase in verse number 7, Mark 7, verse 7, the last phrase there he mentions, and this kind of helps us with the entire passage. He says, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I use, I've used for years this little pocket definition for what worship is because the truth matters that as a, as a younger person, I, I was confused that worship, um, and, and this will go kind of coincides with some of my upbringing and the style of, of ministry, but, but worship was something that you did in private, and praise was something you did in public, or, um, or it was, you have, you have congregational singing, and then you have worship. And that's not, that's kind of, that's contrary to scripture. So I want us to all understand that that is not the truth of scripture, but it is what my understanding of worship was as a young person. And so for me, I had to come up with what, what that definition, what it meant to, to worship God. What does it truly mean in scripture? And so my pocket definition, you can use it if you want or disregard it if you like, but worship is any obedience to the commands of God. That's simple. And for me, that helps me to understand that when I am obeying God, I am ascribing to him the worth due to him. I'm ascribing worth to his commands. I'm saying that there's worth in his name, and so I sing his name or I declare his name. I'm saying there's worth in his commands, so it prompts me to do and to obey. So worship is any obedience to the commands of God. In this first phrase, Jesus tells the Pharisees that their worship was vain. In vain they worship me. Vain, vanity, vain means empty, useless, worthless, which is the exact opposite, right? If worship is ascribing worth, then vain, Jesus is saying your, 
worship is worthless. There's no worth in your worship. It's vain, it's pointless, it's lifeless. It is hypocritical to say that what you're doing is worship when it's actually vanity. It's actually vain and worthless. This characterizes the people of God at the time of Jesus. Jesus points out in this passage really, and, and can I say that from chapters uh, 1 through 6 has been a, there's been a certain style of, of um, stories and, and Jesus' life and what's happening. It's all been exciting and, and there's been miracles and all those things. And then I feel like Mark changes the tune here in chapter 7. We now get to where Jesus kind of gets into this, uh, maybe thumping his finger on their chest almost. There's a different personality we find here in chapter 7. That they were the result, these people at this time of Jesus were the result of centuries of hypocritical, pointless, vain worship. And worship is not just the, 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 the musical part of the Christian life, but rather all of the things that pertain to God. Every area of our life that pertains to God is worship. We are worshiping him. And so this pertains to everything of life. They were worshiping the right God. These are the people of God who, these are, these are Pharisees and scribes and they were Sadducees, the, the, the more liberal side of the religious group. And here we have all of these people who are ascribing to, to what they believe worship is. But these were the people of God that were worshiping the true and living God. They weren't, they weren't worshiping Baal. They weren't worshiping false gods. They were truly worshiping the, the one true Adonai. This was, this was the... the El Shaddai, they were worshiping God, but the wrong way. And I, can I tell you that it is just as wrong to worship the right God the wrong way as it is to worship the wrong God anyway. So here we find God desires to be worshiped from the heart. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the first, we'll find it in our, in our message today, but this is the first and great commandment. And then the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, when he talks to them about this. And, and this message hasn't changed. Mark chapter 12, we'll get to it later on, but Mark chapter 12 says in verse 28, then one of the scribes, there's a story about one of the scribes, comes to him and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, and he begins to quote from Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus is reciting from Deuteronomy 6 and emphasizes this, this is still the expectation of a holy God. 
that you love God all these ways with every part of your being. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher. <laughs> this, is, this scribe is somewhat saying to the crowd that's with him there, I am out of sync with everybody else because nobody practices the way Jesus just said. Maybe it's an understanding of, it's a head knowledge. We have the scripture memorized. We know Deuteronomy 6, 4. But in practice, it's much different. We'll see that in our text. We're going to get to the text, I promise. The scribe tells Jesus, you're right, I agree. And, and in stating that, it's kind of giving the, the idea that he's out of touch with everybody else. You've spoken the truth. There is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Wow. This scribe gets it. He understands. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus says his proximity, this scribe's proximity to the kingdom of God was evident because he understood that having a relationship with God was about loving God. It's about the heart. God is looking for worshipers that will worship him from the heart. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth, the bar from from John 4, Jesus' words in, in verse 24, God is spirit, and they, those who, that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So this was a very rare scribe because for the most part, the Pharisees and scribes were the teachers <clears throat> and the role models, <clears throat> the teachers and the role models for an empty, hypocritical, vain Judaism. This was their religion, worshiping the right God the wrong way. Isaiah chapter 1, when Isaiah begins, and God, God calls out to Isaiah to tell the word of God to the people, Isaiah begins his writings with these verses and says, Hear the word of the Lord. Verse, verse number 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Just to pause here before we get to verse 13. God is not saying, I don't want your sacrifices anymore. This has been the law from Moses. This is the tabernacle was set up, and they traveled around with the tabernacle. They even made these altars, this brazen altar where they would burn sacrifices. They would shed the blood. So God was not saying here to God's people, I don't want your offerings anymore. Who told you to do that? What he's saying is that this has, been, this has become vain. They weren't any longer giving to Jesus, giving to God the, the best of the flock. They were no longer saying, well, we're going to give him the, the one without blemish. Remember, what was the sacrifice symboling? 
the symbolism of the sacrifice in the courtyard was that Jesus would become, be, would be the sacrifice. That, that perfect, spotless, holy Lamb of God. And they were taking and finding the, the runt of the, the sheep, or the one that was maimed or halt, and they were bringing that one in. Or it was just for the show, the ceremonial aspect of the blood being shed and all that, but it wasn't from the heart any longer. So Jesus says, bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your point, appointed feast, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you, when you lift up your hands in and, and homage to me and worship, as, as some of us did just a moment ago, lifting our hands to, to God, these were not holy hands being lifted. This was a show. So when you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And then God's word to Isaiah finishes and closes with verse 18, this famous verse of God's redemption, his heart to forgive. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Forgiveness is available if repentance is present. The last book of the Old Testament from the prophet Malachi is really an indictment. And just those four short chapters before we turn the page into Matthew, those four chapters, Malachi is indicting God's people who are an apostate Israel, who have left God for false and empty worship, just now going through the motions. They were like Sunday morning attenders who knew they had to check that box each week to start the week, go to church, and once we get that over with, we can have our week. We've got to check that box. Just going through the motions. And they were offering a lamb, just like in Isaiah's day, and even before Isaiah's day. And all of these hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries have passed, for this habitual type of sacrificing. This offering the lamb was to be the defining characteristic of how a sacrifice was to be made, representative of Jesus. But instead, the defining characteristic of the worship and sacrifice long before Isaiah and long before Malachi, all the way up to Jesus, was empty and hypocritical. And so I ask myself sometimes, I wonder why Jesus came when he did. This now, the fulfillment of the law, the law had been abused. We'll get into some of the, of the history of how that all happened, but this gets us into Mark chapter 7 now. Mark chapter 7, Jesus has just performed the miracle that Jeff talked about last week and led us through the feeding of the 5,000. And after that miracle, the people wanted to make Jesus a king by force. They were going to make him king. I mean, they'd seen 
thousands, not just the 5,000, but, but probably many more, like Jeff mentioned last week. Jesus' fame grew, but mostly among a people who only wanted a health and wealth from him. These people were going to leave him later on. When they didn't set up as king, and when they found out that all the religious people were against him and wanted him to be dead, people began to leave him. They followed him no more. When Jesus was saying that, that if you want to follow me, you have to take up a cross, they were like, hmm, I don't think I want to do that. They said, you have to leave your father and mother. You have to make it seem as though you love me so much that your love for your family is like hate. Let the dead bury their dead. Those type of comments didn't make those people who were kind of fringe followers stick, stick around. At the same time, his fame was causing an extreme hatred of him by the religious leaders of that day. And so we get to Mark chapter 7. Verse 1 there says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. That the disciples hadn't washed their hands. They weren't just talking about a hygiene here. Verse, verse 3 says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. They were, they were accusing Jesus and his disciples of, of breaking the tradition. They hadn't broken the law. There was no law that had been broken here. They had broken the tradition the tradition of the elders, those elders were the, the forefathers that had been passed down over centuries to them. All of the hypocrisy that had been written in books and volumes now passed down to them, and they were living this hypocritical lifestyle. So this was the ritualistic ceremonial tradition uh, of, the, of the washing of hands, of the rinsing of hands. We find that's true in the passage here. In verse number 3, it says tradition of elders. In verse number 5, it says tradition of elders. In verse 8, Jesus says the tradition of men. In verse 13, it says tradition. Tradition had become superior to Scripture. Over Moses, over the law of Moses, now they had placed other tradition, things that were above Scripture. It's like faulting somebody for not putting up a Christmas tree. We're, we're, we're making those things that are, that are man-made be above the things that are of God. Tradition was thought to be the fence that would keep people from breaking the law of God, supposedly. Now, I understand this from a very close perspective, even, even in, our, in our day and time. But the tradition, they thought, well, back in those, those days, the elders, they had, would write some law, and they would say, okay, well, this is the law of God, and so from the law of God, we'll make sure that we keep people from trespassing against the law of God by backing the line way up. We'll make not washing your hands a sin so that you don't commit a sin. 
before God. That's heresy, but that is hypocrisy. So we, we get into the, the idea of what this tradition meant. The attempt to protect and preserve the law now wasn't, when they bring it to Jesus, is an accusation against Jesus and his disciples that they, not that they broke the law, but that they violated the tradition of the elders. You remember Ezra. Ezra, after 70 years of captivity, okay, Ezra is one of the first group of men that's called scribes. These scribes would study the word of God. They would study what the law was, and they would interpret it and read it for the people to understand. Ezra studied the law. He observed the law. He taught the law. He read the law to the people. And a great revival broke out because he read the law. The law of God brought revival to the people of God. Then the Jews, after hearing the law, desired to make sure that they did not break it. So they developed a compilation of materials, of writings over years, and they put all those writings together and called them the tradition of elders. That tradition of elders, not to get into all of the, the, the history behind it, but they then created the Mishnah, meaning the study by repetition. The Mishnah contained 30 chapters, get this, 30 chapters just on washing pots. 30 chapters. This was the idea that they were going to stay away from, uh, from offending God's law by creating all of this other nonsense. So 30 chapters on washing pots, and then there was one whole volume on the rinsing of hands. Crazy, right? They took the Mishnah, and then they created, because that was so much material, they created another writing called the Jamara, which was to interpret the Mishnah, to help you understand it better. And then they finally combined it all those together, combined both of those together to create what's called, maybe you're familiar with the word, the Talmud. Now, all of that, just by way of history, Maybe is why Jesus said in Matthew 23, 4, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. Talking about the hypocrisy. They believed the tradition of men more than the word of God. They honored God with their lips. But what did Jesus say? But their hearts were far from him, Matthew 15, 8. One rabbi was quoted in his writing saying, whoever has his abode in the land of Israel and eats his food with washed hands may rest assured that he may receive eternal life because you washed your hands. They believed that it, while, you slept, while men slept, a demon would sit on your hands and that if you didn't wash your hands when you woke, that when you put your hand to your mouth, that demon would enter into your body. This was the tradition of men. One famous rabbi was imprisoned and had his allowance of water restricted. And so having his water restricted, not being able to, to have water for his body, 
he decided that based on the tradition of man, that I would rather die than transgress the tradition of the elders and pour the water that he was given in ration on his hands to rinse them rather than into his body. This is the tradition of men. Jesus confronts them and says, this is what you are, this is what you're living on. This is the hypocrisy and he calls it what it is. The condemnation. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29, 13, says, These people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me. Let's continue in Mark chapter 7, verse 6. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, quoting from Isaiah 29, 13. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus gives them an example of their hypocrisy here in now verses 9 through 13. Look what it says. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. So, Moses' law, honor your father and mother, and he who curses his mom and dad or disrespects, dishonors his mom and dad, should be put to death. Any of you glad you don't live under that law anymore? Anyone ever dis disobeyed their mom and dad or disrespected their mom and dad? But Jesus says, but you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God. And then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Now, Jesus only shows them really one or two things here that they do and says there's many more things like this. But if dishonoring your mom and dad was that you would be put to death, what they found is a way around the law and created another tradition called Corban. Corban simply means a gift to God or it was devoted to God. So if they called Corban out over their possessions and they made a, a uh, commitment that all of their wealth was Corban, what they were essentially saying, what their tradition allowed, what they now called the law, was that all of the things that they possessed that were Corban over, they got to keep until they died. And then it could go to God, whatever was left. It was a way to, to say to mom and dad, oh, we, we, I'm sorry, mom and dad, you're gonna, we can't take care of you in your old age because all of our possessions are now Corban, devoted to God. And they could live how they wanted to, and then later on after they died, the money could be given to, to the church or to God. They found a way by tradition around the law. This was the hypocrisy. So in, in Mark chapter 7, verse 14, we'll finish up. Here's the application. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, 
Hear me, everyone, and understand. This is not, there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? So Jesus is saying, we're not going to have this law about not eating pork anymore. We're not going to have these laws about food. He was, Jesus was saying, I'm not quoting anybody. I'm just telling you it's not defiled anymore. He's, he's saying that foods are clean now. But he, but he says, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Jesus makes it clear to them that it's not the tradition of men it's not all of these other things, these peripheral things, or these things that were thought to be the fence to keep us from sinning. The illustration of that, this is the, this is the line between the world and, and Christianity. Or there's a line here that we want to make sure that we don't cross over or we will fall into sin. We don't want to straddle that line. So we're going to live way over here and we're going to create all of these other pretenses, all these other traditions, all these other man-made rules so that we don't get to that line. And Jesus was saying it's not those things on the outside. I'm not looking at the outside. Jesus is saying I am seeing the heart. I'm looking on the inside, the things on the inside that defile a man, the corrupt thoughts and imaginations, the, the will of the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Holy Spirit's guidance and leadership in our lives. Jesus teaches his disciples the difference between tradition and doctrine here. Or maybe better, better yet, the, tradition, the, the difference between worshiping the, uh, the true God the right way or worshiping the true God the wrong way. It is possible for the people of God to worship the true and living God the wrong way. And a holy God, and we, we find in Scripture, reviles that. The Holy God rebukes that. The Holy God says, I'm, I want to hide my eyes from it. I don't want to see it. It disgusts me that you would think you could come and worship me that way. But they that worship God worship him in spirit and in truth. It is from the heart. 
He declares all food clean here. A major difference between Jesus and the, the Pharisees is that the Pharisees always, were always quoting somebody. Either they were quoting from the elders or they were trying to quote Moses or Abraham. Jesus spoke with authority. He didn't quote anybody. Jesus places an emphasis on the defilement of sin and not the tradition of men. What sin does to us, he is more concerned with the inside of man than he is the outside and makes sure we understand that true worship is from the heart and not from the way you want to be perceived. Church, God is looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. That will ascribe worth to his word, not make up all kind of other things. Look, can I tell you, it's hard enough to live up to this, much less create a whole litany of other things to try to live up to so that I can protect this. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what those hypocrites were doing. The hypocrisy of dressing ourselves up to be something we know we're not so that we could be received by God is foolishness. God sees you. It's not hidden from him. He sees you. Can I tell you something, church? Not only does he see you. Uh, here, let me, let's just go back to Isaiah. I see you. I see the foolishness. I see all of the wrong ways that you try to worship me. But people of God, come, God says. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, though they put my son on the cross and his blood runs down and he breathes his last breath, Though your sin be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's, that's the God of the word. That's our God. You don't have to come painted up. You don't have to come with all your tradition, pretending to be holy. Hypocrisy must be repented of so that a true relationship with Christ can begin. It's time for repentance. It is easy. It is easy to be a Pharisee. It's maybe, it's maybe our go-to Well, I hope, I hope not. But it's easy to get into the, to become a Pharisee, to, to, to put the facade on. To, to notice everyone else's flaws and faults. To be in the judgment seat. Repentance must happen. As John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. 
You cannot merit or earn favor and grace before God. It must be a heart relationship. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, truly, you have given us your word. We believe every word is pure. God, I pray that there would be repentance among your people, among us, your church, that we might have a closer walk with you. We might know you in an intimate way, knowing you accept us the way that we are, just as I am without one plea. I need no other argument. It's enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us for the times that we've been the Pharisee. Forgive us for our hypocrisy. May we be truly the people that you've called us to be, pure, undefiled, that we might be able to reach a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.